0: Uh, it's so good to gather with the church this morning to celebrate, to sing praise, and to lift up God's name who is stronger. What an encouraging song to think through this week for me and is the theme of those who've gathered in. Is, it's been tiring. It's been, it's been a long week. People have long weekends. But just to know that God is stronger, that He defeated death, death on a cross to give us life, and that we can celebrate that this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we're glad you're here. We're finishing up a series called It Matters. And I know what you're thinking, this is the last series and the last sermon, and that's the only thing that matters because we're, we're finished with the series? No, it's such a great series, and I've, it's, been, blessed, it's just been a blessing to me to be able to look through just what the church means, the local body to look through our vision, to think about our mission, what drives us, and to say it matters. It truly matters that You know who we are and that we know who You are. And so when we link arms together for the Gospel's sake, that we are unified and that we can bring a a beautiful representation of who Christ is to this community and to the lost. And so we thank You for being here. And Let me pray. Father, God, You are good. And God, we thank you that you have allowed us to sit in your presence and to glorify your name and to lift you high. And God, I thank you that you've honored us with the privilege to be a part of your story, to play a small part in the bigger picture that ultimately brings You glory. There's nothing else that matters. So Father, be with us as we look through Your Scriptures at this last section, as we talk about our beliefs, as we look at our budget. God, may You be glorified. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It matters. Our vision matters, and that's where we start. We're going to do a quick recap, and we're going to move through the uh, through our beliefs fairly quickly. But the opportunity for you to dive even deeper, because there's so much scripture involved, we would be here probably for another eight weeks if I wanted to break it all down. But we have it all available for you in the back. You can grab it off the table. But just know that so we'll move pretty quickly. Don't get discouraged. There's opportunity for you. We're not trying to move so fast that you miss something. Uh, but we also understand that I only have three hours to teach, and we don't want to be here all night, right? So, uh, Vision, vision. Our vision here at the Oaks is this, is that we serve all people we engage with authentic relationship compelled by grace and truth through Jesus Christ. That's what we are. That's our overarching vision, that we teach you who Christ is, compelled by His love through us. That's nothing that we've done, but it's because He's come and He's loved us and He's given us the privilege that we are compelled to love others and engage others and to serve others through the Gospel and through His truth. So that's our vision. Our mission is to cultivate relationships that produce stories of grace in everyday life. That's what drives us. We want you to understand that you, each one of you have a, a part in this story. That we're all equally important. That I'm not any better than you and you're not any better than me, but together, that we unify together, we link arms together, we partner together to be the body of God that brings glory to Him. So we are the church, and we want you to understand that. We want to cultivate, we want to make ready your relationship to share with this world. And then our covenant, it matters is there's two covenants that we taught on, the covenants between an elder and the covenants between the members. Elders is that we entrusted that we are men that are entrusted to protect you, to serve you, to love you, to know you. That's what we want to be. We want to shepherd you. We want to be shepherd, and we say this term, we want to be shepherds that smell like our sheep. We don't want to be standoff. We want to link arms with you. We don't want to be in our ivory tower. we don't want to sit up in our higher room, and be apart from our people. We want to be with you. We want to be engaged with you. And we want to serve with you. And so we believe that Scripture teaches us that we are entrusted to that. We also believe that the elders is plurality, that there's a plural uh, responsibility in leading the church, that it's not a singular focus on one man, but the one man who is our chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. And He's who we look to. But within the local church, there's a plurality of leaderships. There, there are multiple men Lead the church, so we believe that we believe that's what what the scripture teaches. Members, the covenant with members. We believe that one of our greatest convictions as elders is that you know who we are. That's why we say it matters. It's not just you know come and be a part because there's good music and the speaker's handsome. You know any of that? We're not worried about that, but we want you to come because it truly matters. The gospel matters. It matters. So we believe that we want you to know who we are. Membership is meaningful. Is meaningful. Therefore, we believe it is important that we covenant together, that we partner together, that we become members together for the gospel's sake. Then today is our beliefs. So we're going to move through it. There's um, eight articles that we have. And the first one is this, the sole authority of Scripture. This is what we believe. We believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God in the highest and fullest sense. It is the unraveled authority in determining faith and practice of God's people. We believe that the Scripture reveals all that is necessary for us to know God, His plan of redemption, and our responsibility. That's what we believe about the Scriptures. We believe. We believe not only does it help us know God, But it helps us unravel that plan and that redemptive story that he has for us for the greater good of of Christ so that he is lifted high. We believe that the Scripture is divinely intent for personal study, application, interpretation under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is key. This is key. We believe that Scripture has one interpretation but many applications. What does that mean? Just a quick example. Love your neighbors, right? That's what it means. Love your neighbors. But I may love them by serving them, Joe by cooking dinner, and so forth. There's different applications to love, but there's only one interpretation. We can't have multiple interpretations. There's only one interpretation of the Word of God, but there's multiple applications, right? We can take that word love and we can do multiple things with it. But to love our neighbor is one thing, it's one interpretation. So we believe that. We believe that the Word of God is our authority. And is only our authority. Next, we believe there is a Godhead, a triune God, a trinity, however you want to language that. I know that's not a biblical word per se, but we see it in Scripture. There's a Godhead. There's God the Father. There's God the Son. There's God the Holy Spirit. We believe in all three. We believe that the Godhead eternally exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the three persons are one God, having precisely the same nature, attributes, and perfections, and worthy of precisely the same worship. If you look into Scripture, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son demand the same amount of worship, praise, and honor. It's all the same. So we believe that. We believe that God as Father reigns over His universe and His creation, that the movement of human history according to his purpose of grace, that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-wise, God the Father in truth. To those who become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, he is fatherly in his character towards all men. We believe in God the Son. Jesus is both fully God and fully human. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, died on the cross as a substitution Mankind. He was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now lives in all believers as living and ever-present Lord and will one day return in power and glory to judge the world and complete His redemptive mission. We believe in the Son of God. We believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, fully divine. Through illumination, He enables men to understand truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Through the proclamation of the Gospel, He persuades men to repent of their sins and confess Jesus as Lord. At the moment of regeneration, He has baptized every believer into the body of Christ and sealed the believer into a day of final redemption. He cultivates Christian character. He comforts believers. He bestows His spiritual gifts by which they serve God through His church. He presents in the Christian he is present in the Christian is the guarantee his I'm sorry, his present in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into fullness of his stature of Christ and unify, enlighten, and empower the believer to the church on mission. He is your seal, he is your stamp of approval that the Holy Spirit lives and reigns in you as a believer. We believe in God. The Holy Spirit. Our next article is this, Christ, the only Savior from sin, without whom men are condemned. We believe that God made man, male and female, in His own image, in the crown of His creation, so that man might glorify Him through enjoying fellowship with Him, tempted by Satan. Adam rebelled against God, and the fellowship was broken. As a result, the fall of man, all men have inherited a sin, a sinful nature, and will ultimately sin against God, being separated from his Maker, yet responsible to him, he became subject to divine wrath, inwardly deprived, and apart from a special work of grace, utterly incapable of returning to God. The unregenerate man lives under the dominion of sin and Satan, and is therefore at war against God. Fallen, sinful people are lost and without hope, apart from salvation in Jesus Christ alone. So this is the conversion. This is what we believe. Conversion includes repentance, faith, regeneration, and justification. We believe that the Christian life begins with conversion. Conversion is this. There's several aspects, including repentance, regeneration, justification, through faith. Repentance implies a deep, sincere change of thinking, feeling, willing towards sin and God. And the faith is the surrender and the entire personality, thought, feeling, and will of Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. That's what we believe. Salvation. Here it is. Salvation involves the redemption of the whole man, and he is offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who by their own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believers. In its broadest sense, salvation includes regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification, there is no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. We believe in Jesus only. It's not a Jesus plus system. It's not Jesus plus this, but it is Jesus only. He's the only way. Regeneration, I'm going to introduce a few words to you. Regeneration is a new birth, is a work of God's grace, whereby believers become new creations in Christ Jesus. It is a change of heart and heart by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin, to which the sinner responds in repentance towards God and faith in Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. Repentance is a genuine turning from sin towards God. Faith is the acceptance of Jesus Christ and committed to the entire personality, to Him as Lord and Savior. Justification is God's gracious and full Acquittal upon principle of His righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ. Justification brings the believer into a relationship of peace and favor with God. It justified us before our Father. And then sanctification is the experience beginning in regeneration by which a believer is set apart to God's purpose and is enabled to progress towards moral and spiritual maturity Through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in Him, growth in grace should continue throughout the the regenerate person's life. You are being sanctified daily. You are being sanctified and sanctified until you are glorified. We believe that. It's not a one and done deal. We believe that a salvation is a journey of sanctification. That it's not a moment, it's not an experience where we feel good about who we are and what we've done. The music was good, the band was good, the speaker was good. We raised our hand. We believe it's more than that. We believe that salvation is more than just an experience. That you are being sanctified. Glorification is this. It is The, the culmination of salvation is the final bless, the final blessing in the abiding state of the redeemed. That we will be glorified and that we will be brought into His kingdom. We have two ordinances that we talk about in the New Testament. The New Testament church is body baptized believers who observe biblical ordinances. We believe that there are only two church ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We believe the New Testament church is a community of believers in Christ, covenant together to follow Jesus. The local church is a volunteer gathering in worship, fellowship, teaching of the Word, prayer, practice of these two ordinances. And here they are, baptism. Christian baptism in the immersion is the immersion of believers in water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit it is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior, the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in a newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to the believer's faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite To the privilege of the church membership and to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church examine their lives through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, moralizing the death of the Redeemer, and and anticipating his second coming. These are our two ordinances. We believe that if you want to be a part as a member of the church, a local body, that you are a professed Christian, that you've been baptized, that you said that I proclaim the life of Christ, that I want to represent, and before you, you are witnesses of this baptism, that I will live a life accountable to the Word of God. So that is a prerequisite to what we ask as members. And last, the final resurrection of all men. We believe that the final resurrection of all men, both the just and the unjust, that those who believe unto salvation shall be raised to everlasting life, while those who disbelieve shall be raised to everlasting condemnation. We believe there's a judgment. We believe that at the end, if you have not followed and trusted Christ with your life as Lord and as a Savior, there is a final resurrection. And for you, it's condemnation is hell. But if you believe that heaven is eternity, and it is real, and it is alive, and so these are our beliefs, and I know I scanned through them quick, and I wish, I wish I had the time to break them all down and walk through them with you. But I want you to take responsibility as men and women to grab our beliefs in the back and look through them and challenge your thinking. Challenge it with the Scriptures that we have under it. And say, is this something that we believe? Because if it is, we want you to partner with us. We want you to join with us to, uh, to be on mission for this community. The last part, budget, I know you're all waiting to get there, and I'm going to be honest with you, the budget is so good, it's so good to have a budget in your personal life, your business life, whatever it may be, it's so good to have a budget, but we're going to be honest with you as men, as leaders, as your shepherd, we're an open book here at the Oaks, and about... Five months ago, six months ago, when we started to put together a budget, we were at like 20 people. <laughs> and so now we're at like, you know, 80-ish to 90. And our tithe went from like 15 a month to like almost 8,000, which is great. You know, we're being an open book here. Uh, so our budget has been tweaked a little bit. So instead of me getting up here and teaching on you, like, your know, electric and all this, trying to break down the budget, what I want to do is give you two things. I want to give you the proper basis of our giving and the proper use of our giving. And then from there, we meet with a group that helps us, a group of men that help us put together uh, certain issues and certain things. We call them a steering team, but they help us guide and direct the budget, and it's based on these things that I'm about to teach to you. So bear with me. It goes like this. The proper basis for giving. There's three things. Biblical giving is never done out of constraint but always done willingly and cheerfully you hear that it's not out of constraint we don't demand a certain percentage from you we know that, that in cases that i've known of there are certain expectations for your giving as a member for us it's just cheerful it's not out of constraint it's not a willing uh, uh, unwillingness for god or uh, it, it's joyful it's cheerful it's generous we love that terminology We believe it's biblical. In Corinthians chapter 8-9, that's what Paul teaches. And Paul instructs, he says, Let us, in 2 Corinthians 9-7, he says, uh, Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And so we love cheerful givers. That's our standard. If the standard for the Word is cheerful giver, then our standard here is cheerful givers. That's our standard. Right? Just like dress code. Our dress code here at the Oaks is modesty. Because that's what the dress code is for the Word of God. Modesty. We we rely on the Word of God. And so it says, be a cheerful giver. Second thing, biblical giving is to be done thoughtfully and purposely. Too often our conception of giving is that we sit in a church service and suddenly we're jolted by the fact that, oh wait, there's the offering and we need to we need to put ours in there. We're scrambling. We're trying to get our money together and put it in the box. We want you really to really think about it. We want you to pray about it. We want you to enter into worship as a part of your worship as you're giving. And so that it's, 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 it's cheerful that you're giving to the Lord to do His work and to do His ministry. So prepare. Don't come on Sunday and then try to scramble up the checkbook because you see the plate pass, even though we don't pass the plate. We don't do that. Uh, but you know what I'm saying. We want you to really thoughtfully and purposely think about what you're going to give to the local body so that we can share the, uh, spread the gospel. It says this in 1 Corinthians 16, On the first day of every, of every week, let, a, let each one of you put aside and save, as he has purposed, that no collection may be made when I come. And so that's what he's talking about. Be prepared. Paul's saying be prepared. Think through it thoughtfully, purposely. And the third thing is this. Finally, giving is to be carried out um, realistically. And Paul says this in Second Corinthians. It says we are to give out of what we have, not of what we do. It says in, in verse 12, for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have so we want you to be realistic about it. We want you to evaluate your budget. You know, we don't want you to lose your job because you need to give us an extra 50 bucks. I'm pretty sure that's not responsible. I'm pretty sure God wants you to think through that a little more. All right? And so that's what we want. We want you to be willing and cheerfully. We want you to think through it and we want you to be realistic about it. We understand that. I don't know, I'm just making something up, but if you're giving $100 a week, $100 a week, and all of a sudden... You lose your job and you get another job and you make less money and you're getting $50 a week. That's okay. We don't care. We're not evaluating and going, All right, I need to have a talk with that guy. You know? <laughs> we want you to be realistic. We want you to think through it. God's given you a brain. Use it. But use it as an act of worship. Your worship started when you were born. Yeah. It doesn't start just on Sunday, 15 minutes before you get a tithe. It's every day. It's every day. And so God is preparing your hearts so that when you get here, it's a part of your worship. It's part of your worship. So that's the basis of our giving. And in Scripture, the purpose, the, the proper use of our giving is three things. By far, the greatest, the greatest portion of Scripture in the New Testament has to do with money given to the physical needs of the saints. By far. this is When we look at budget, when we talk about money, we talk about the purpose. It is that it's given... For the needs of the saints. In Acts six one through six and First Timothy five, Acts says that there is some kind of daily provision of food that they gave that was for the poor. First Timothy taught that for the widows, we hear that all the time. The poor and the widows, we take care of them. That we supported the the widows in the church, and perhaps the greatest area of neglect is helping within. I think too often we get on the mindset of. We want to go and we want to do and we want to help the community, but there are people right here. There are people right here amongst us that need help within our body, within our saints, our believers. It's too often we overlook that. We may jump to the poor. We may jump to the missions. We may jump to the widows. There are people right here that maybe lost their jobs and we need to help them for a little bit. How does that look? How does that know? I mean, there's a process. But we can't overlook that. We can't neglect that. And I think Scripture teaches that. And so we must give... To meet the physical needs of the saints. The second area is this of responsibility of giving to the church is those who minister. what Paul says. The very words are clear in his epistle to Corinthians. He says in 1 fourteen, chapter nine, verse fourteen, so also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And again, Paul writes in Timothy, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching in teaching, for the scripture says you shall muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his praise. You shall not muzzle, I'm sorry. The laborer is worthy of his praise, and that's in Timothy five, seventeen through eighteen. Another interesting passage in Galatians six six says this and let us and let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. So if I understand Paul's right here, he, he's talking about a monetary, but he's also talking about physical blessings. If you have the ability, we've seen it we've seen it over the last couple of weeks, you have the, the ability to bless someone with a meal, that's good. That's helping too. It's not always physical money. And so if you have LSU season tickets, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but, but that is true though. If There's there's so many times when, when when pastors and elders and people that are doing the work for the ministry just need a break. And if you're in a position where you can send them, that's, that's just as good. It's just as good. And so there's multiple ways that we can bless, that we can support those who are in the ministry. And then in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, it's neat here where Paul writes, it's about he really writes about how the elders are determining the salary of the ministers to teach and how they lead the church. It's interesting how Paul writes that to Timothy. and he said there's a there's an obligation there, and so we got to look at that. What does that mean? I don't know we, we We'll work through all that when we get there right now. We do not take a salary if you're wondering that <laughs> we' work, we're bivocational we're fine with that. I don't even know if we're bivocational we're just we're here. How about that? We teach the Word of God, and that's fine. If we ever get to the stage, you know we'll have multiple men around us, elders that are guiding us and leading us to make a decision on that. We'll obviously let you guys know. We're not going to just take it out of the pot without you guys knowing at all. Um, but we're not there yet. But we do believe that Timothy, th- that he, he teaches that. He looks at the Scripture, he evaluates I'm not Timothy, Paul. Paul writes this to Timothy as he's leading the church. And So there is a conversation there. We don't know what it looks like, but we trust God and we'll lean on him and his understanding in that area. Finally, the third thing we look at as far as scripture is concerned, the giving of funds to the members of those who ministry who do ministry beyond the local church, beyond the local family. And in Philippians, the church is a wonderful example. If you want to read the book of Philippians, it's a great book, it's just a wonderful example of a, a local body that supports what we would call the mission of the church outside the local body. And so in Philippians he says this Not only did they send their money, but they sent... This is the cool thing, too. Not only did they send their money, they sent Epaphroditus. (laughs) They sent a fellow brother, a worker in the Lord, an example for them. And that's cool. We'd love to train and send you guys. We'd love to train you up as a disciple and send you into this world to be an example. But we also understand that they sent money. Sometimes missionaries need money. And we can support that. We believe in local missions. We believe in the universal mission. And so we want to do both. And so I love that in Philippians how they not only sent their money, but they sent people. They sent people. And then the Apostle John likewise encourages Christians' ministry. And he says this in, in 3 John, verse 5 through 8 Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you have accomplished for the brethren, especially when they are strangers. And they bear witness to your love before the church. And you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers with the truth. And I want you to understand that, that we're fellow workers. We, We play a part. Our part may be sending a check. Our part may be sending a meal. Our part may be giving LSU tickets. Whatever it may be, that part is, 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 is huge. You are playing a part. It's not just a check written out and it's sent off. You are a part of the body, and we work together. We are unified together to accomplish the mission of the church. And so we believe that it's critical. We believe that it's critical. So just like John writes here, it says, Therefore you support such men that they may be fellow workers with the truth. that Your fellow workers, your fellow laborers in the truth. That's huge for you to understand. And so in conclusion, the New Testament reason for giving is this, that we meet the needs of those who lack, both in the local congregation and in the church at large, that we care for the widows, that we minister to those who minister to us and that we, too, participate in the ministry of those who minister to the church at large. That is the reason we give. That is the reason we give. And so budget is something that is on our forefront, is in our minds, and we're thinking through it. And I know it's critical because we've had a lot of growth here lately and where we went from, like, hey, we paid the electric bill to, hey, we might can buy another chair for another member. So we're getting a little excited, but we will, when, when we can crunch those numbers and give you an accurate budget, we will present that. We're not trying to hide anything, let you know as a member, as a partner with us, we're an open book. We're an open book. You have every right to look at the budget as I do. Now, we can't show you who's tied and all that. and We're not going to get into that, but you can look at the numbers. You can see where we spend it. We're an open book here at the Oaks. And we want you to know that. I want you to trust that. Because we are a family together. And Christ is our chief shepherd. So this is the the challenge as we end this series, is to think through. As of today, we feel like elders here at the Oaks, pastors here at the Oaks, we feel that you should know everything about who we are. If you've been here from the beginning, from vision to mission to covenant to budget to beliefs, we feel like you know who we are. If you have any further questions, you're absolutely welcome to ask those, and we encourage that to come and seek. Invite us to dinner I like to eat, so we can talk over a meal. Uh, if there's any more questions, we'd love to do that. But from this point forward, we're, we're opening our membership up to you. There's a covenant in the back. We still challenge you to read through it. Come to us. as you want to be a part, as a member, join. You sign that covenant, we're going to sign it with you. We're partnering with you. We're members just like you're members. We have a different role as elders and you as members, but we're covenant together. So we want to sign that with you and be a part with you. So if you have any other questions, please find me, Joe, or Casey. We'd love, we'd love to talk to you and talk through that with you so that we can link arms as a local faith family and give the gospel to a community that needs it. So let me pray. Father, we thank you, God. And God, I understand that this series was a unique series and that it, it may have not fit into something that looks like as we normally walk through a book But Father, we feel that it is of the utmost importance that we want our people to understand what they're getting into. That when we link arms, that we are as unified as we can be. That there's a trust, there's accountability, there's encouragement. And it is all received and welcomed for Your glory and Your glory alone. And Father, there are times in the near future that will that we will face together and God the only way, the only way that we can glorify your name is to be unified as believers. And so Father, it matters. It matters. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.